So he comes in around 3.20 a.m. And I do remember the times vividly, very vividly. So he comes in and uh, I look at him. All right, man, what's the word? How is she? And he looks at me. No, 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 no. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I'm your host, Todd Rennebaum. Well, thank you for tuning in for another week. This week, I am speaking with Daniel Norwood. And I have to tell you, this is a pretty intense episode. It's really raw. It's powerful. It's it's, it's emotional. So I met Daniel through Instagram a few months ago. He reached out to me trying to get a, a number or a contact from uh, a person who was on a different episode. And uh, so I I hooked him up with that and, and we got to talking and uh, his story is, uh, it's just heartbreaking and just, it's powerful. I'm having a real hard time recording this intro because I, I don't want to give anything away from Daniel's story because I want you to hear it from him because he's never told anyone the story so listening to it it's very that's why it's very raw and very powerful and very emotional is because it's his first time telling the story to someone like publicly like this but i understand it's hard it's a hard sell when i'm not telling you anything about it so just trust me with this one daniel has a ton of life experience from from kind of growing up in the streets a bit to his time in the military and fighting in iraq to this final incident that happened a couple years ago and to his healing now. So I guess I'll just leave it at that. Um, next week, I am speaking with Dr. Jody Carrington. She is a child psychologist and a best-selling author. Uh, we talk about, oh boy, there's we, we kind of just bounce all over the place. We didn't really have an agenda or, or uh, one particular subject matter we, we, we were going to talk about. So we kind of talk about all types of stuff, uh, and that's a really great episode, so please don't miss that next week. Please follow the podcast on Facebook at Bunny Hugs and Mental Health, and on Instagram at Bunny Hugs Podcast, and on TikTok at Bunny Hugs Podcast. Please rate and review the podcast if you're listening to it on Apple. That would mean so much to me. Anyway, I'm just going to jump into it now because it's a long episode, but without further ado, I give you Daniel Norwood. I am from Florida. Florida man. Yes. I uh, <laughs> grew up in a place called Golden Gate, and my family was from Fort Myers. And were you from a military family? No. Well, I mean, my mother was in the Navy. My father was in the Navy, but they didn't stick it out. Like, my father flew uh, Hueys. Hmm. Damn, I want to fly. And then me personally, um, I did 13,000 miles in Iraq as a medic. Oh, you were a medic? Yes. Ah, okay. But as, as a medic, I don't know much about, well, I, I know what I see on me, the media. Like I'm from Canada and I don't know much about uh, seeing action in the Middle East as a American soldier. But as, as a medic, I'm assuming you see a lot of action. You also have to like shoot back. Sometimes it's not just. We are called soldier medics. Soldier first, medic second. Gotcha. I can't, I can't do nothing if they're shooting at me. Right, right, right. Uh, so you, you see some serious shit. Uh, it's not as bad as you would think, but I mean, it, is, it comes with the territory that earned the name Doc. Right. Like, I, you know, they don't just give that out in the army. You know, 
you become doc once you've earned it. Hmm. So you're, you're medically trained. Yes, sir. I trained over 2,700 soldiers in combat life-saving skills, and they all passed first time. Huh. Very proud of that achievement. It was with the 183rd Regional Training Institution. And uh, as a doctor, is, is it okay to smoke? <laughs> I'm yes. teasing <laughs> <laughs> But don't ever smoke in a combat zone because the sniper is your cherry. Really? Damn. Those are some serious. You see that cherry from 300 meters away. Meters? You talking meters? That's Canadian. <laughs> 300 meters away, and the only people who carried pistols were medics and officers. So people with pistols were targeted. I had $20,000 bounty when I was over there. Really? So, sorry, that, that was in Iraq, you said? Or Afghanistan? Yes, uh, Iraq. Iraq. I did not get the pleasure of the Hindu Christian Mountains, and I didn't miss anything. <laughs> I imagine only Jesus. Uh, so, so who pays that bounty? The Iraq military pays whoever. Oh, I, I have no idea. I just know that uh, one thousand American dollars at the time I was there in two thousand eleven was just a little bit over one million twenty seven of theirs. Yoy. Yeah. yeah. So do you? So you you mentioned to me that you had some. PTSD or is it PTSD or CPTSD or both? PTSD. Okay. And is that from your time in the military? Well, um. Well, well, I suppose. I mean, the military compounded it because I was a very terrible child running the streets and doing dumb shit, trying to be a gangster, mm. you know? And um, yeah, I joined the military because I was going to be a t-shirt. On some punk's chest, I'll get a free burial. I opted in for the free burial. Hmm. Then I became a patriot. Little, little laugh. You know, the first thing uh, that happened to me in boot camp, I wore a pair of Gucci glasses. And the drill sergeant asked me, was I a pimp? And I said, yo, mama, and it's not what you do when you go to the military, brother. <laughs> I spent the first two weeks pushing states closer to Florida. What do you mean? Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. You, you didn't know that before you joined boot camp, not to say that kind of stuff? Bro, I was a punk, dude. <laughs> Straight up punk. Uh, um, the only person I respected was my mom, and that was sliding away at that time, you know? Hmm. So did you have some, some kind of PTSD before you even joined the military from your time on the streets and stuff? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because my therapist told me that the military, I should have never got in the military. I, I told my therapist, just shut up, you know, because I don't think it's the wrong way. But there's a lot of people out there that use these diagnoses as crutches and excuses. And there's no excuses. Get up and get it. You pave your way. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't fully disagree with that. I mean, everybody's different, but... Uh... Now, there are a lot of legitimate people, but a lot of people, now that it's become, for lack of other words, a fad, mental health, mental health, mental health, you know? But then you've got veterans with the stigma. Of PTSD or of? Of having mental health issues. Right. You know, it's a stigma in the veteran society, like, oh, nothing's wrong with us, we're strong. I see, I oh. see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then... You were you honorably discharged, or how, how did you? Yes, sir. Okay. I got I got out as a medical non commissioned officer E five, and uh, I sir I was a great soldier. I got two uh, many medals. I got like twelve or thirteen medals. I I was wonderful. I was a wonderful soldier. Um, 
But then as soon as I got out, went right back to being an idiot. <laughs> well, well, that'll happen. So what, when, when you say an idiot, what, what kind of stuff were you up to? Um, well, drinking got way out of hand. Um, then I was selling and doing illicit substances. I mean, to the point of I didn't work for two years. Because the selling because was of, paying the bills or? Uh, I was basically what I was doing was I was selling drugs with customer service and I didn't, I took everything, not just cash because I run an eBay store. Ah, uh, uh, I gotcha. So you're a pawn shop slash drug Trail dealer. Park pawn shop is what they called me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Um, well, I I look back on it and it's like, if I mean, you could always say if you could change this and this, this is like, man, I wish I would have concentrated on my education more. I'm very smart, dude. I'm so smart. I'm dumb. I've never failed a test in my life. And I never really studied. Um, now, I, I dropped out of school. My principal actually told me, dude, you're wasting our time. Just leave. Um, and then I went off and I smoked pot for a couple of years. And, and then two and a half years into that, I was like, you know what? I need to do something. And I smoked a blunt and went down, took the ASVAB and got a 98. <laughs> like, I'm the type of person that pisses people off. I ain't going to lie. So they're like, uh, we're just going to make you general right now. Well, no, they actually <laughs> tried to put me in an infantry slot. They said, fuck off. I want to be a medic. And they were like, we ain't got no slot. Bye. And I left. Uh, and then about two and a half weeks later, they called me back in and I signed the paperwork. And then I'm mad. I could have been a scuba diver. I didn't even know that the army had those. <laughs> but being a medic was cool. And I'll tell you, a lot of people ask why I didn't stay in it. It's a tough life. It's a lot of responsibility. And um, I just didn't want to do it in a month. That's you know? the ADHD in you, maybe. Oh, yeah, dude. You have no idea. I've worked a thousand jobs. I do I've know. I've had a thousand dreams. <laughs> Well, yeah, you do know. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've, you know, I've had a thousand dreams. Um, I'm always pursuing something. Mm -hmm. um, and just recently, I just will we'll dive into what we're going to talk about here shortly. But me getting on the internet, doing my online streaming and stuff like that. But the online streaming brought me back to life because I was literally, I had gotten out of incarceration. And I would sit in my home and binge watch court TV, forensic files, hmm. and just day in and day out, and day in and day out. And then my mom was like, get a fucking video game, dude. And, you know, and I was like, fuck it. I got an eBay store. I'll spend 150 bucks. And six, seven months later, it has turned into a whole shabiga vibe. I got a computer, da, 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 but enough <laughs> of that still. Okay, one more question about the military. Uh, you said, yes, sir. well, I'm assuming it's about the military. You said you have uh, a traumatic brain injury. Is that due to your time in Iraq? Yeah. Okay. You got blowed up. Something like that. It's simple. A uh, thousand pound daisy chain bomb. So, uh, what, a thousand, what a daisy chain does is it goes boom, boom, boom. Like that. So it was a thousand pounds of explosive spread. To hit a convoy. Gotcha. Because I did convoy security. I was an infantry medic attached to a cavalry unit. Hmm. So I'm assuming quite a few people got hurt then. 
Well, I mean, it's it's the way of the animal, but I'll say we lost more people to their own hands than we did to actual combat. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. And the scariest part about combat is you show up with the fear of God in you, you leave with none. Hmm. Yeah, I could I could see that. Um so so then you come home, you've got PTSD from life, basically. Um and I didn't pursue getting any type of treatment for it because the you know, the military isn't animal and we were told Tell them what they want to hear so you can go home. Because if you don't, you're not going home. Hmm. So no soldiers actually went to get help. Right. Hmm. Um, and I didn't pursue getting help until uh, my gunner, Joshua R. Woodring. Rest in peace, brother. Uh, worked side by side with me. Uh, I got out of the military and I was assured for a security job. So I started working for... Wackenhut, also known as G4S. And we worked side by side every day. And um, you didn't see this one coming, man. He laughed and, you know, but then you think back on it, you're like, yeah, he was crying out for help, but he was doing it without, without burdening anybody. But, you know, long story short, he didn't show up to work for a couple of days and it was out of, out of the ordinary. And uh, me and another soldier went over there to check on him and went into the house. And I'll never forget that moment. And so after that, I spiraled, bro. Um, And when I finally went to the doctor, I was diagnosed with schizophrenia, PTSD, mania, depression, ADHD, and ADD. Like, just a slew of shit. Hmm. Um, and then when they first did it for me, I refused to accept it. Nah, I ain't got that shit. Nope. And then they put me on all this medication that really messed me up. Like 250 milligrams of Trazodone a day with 420 milligrams of Seroquel a day with Whoa. a 30 XLR Adderall in the morning. Yoy. I'm on 25 milligrams of Seroquel, so 400 and, and some um, is... <laughs> And I followed that regiment for almost two years while being an avid alcoholic and abusing the substance Spice. Spice? Yeah. K2. Synthetic marijuana. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's American not shit. <laughs> yeah, but it was uh, it was legal at the time. Right. Huh. We could get away with it. And I've always had issues with substance abuse. I mean, I still smoke pot. Um. I don't touch alcohol or other illicit substances, um, and we'll touch into why. Um, and it's not just because I'm on probation, because even since I was on probation, I fucked up hmm. after this. Right. So this event you're talking about and all these diagnoses, was that after your- This is in 2012. Oh, okay. So before- It was, it was in 2011. And when did you get the- the brain injury. 2011. Oh, oh, did you just say that? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's all good, dude. It's all good, dude. <laughs> okay, so you come home from the military. You got all these diagnoses and all this thing, and you're kind of your old ways again, but, but you're able to find a companion? Well, I was married before I left. Oh, I see. Okay. 
Um, and that's another story because I'm divorced. I've got an ex-wife and a baby mama. Um, at this point, I'll probably be single for the rest of my life because I do have two daughters and I refuse to let women be in and out of their lives. Mm. Plus, uh, we'll, 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 we'll talk about the story, but the, my youngest daughter was uh, witness to what happened. Mm. Okay. That, that night that we're going to talk about. Okay. And it, she's bio biologically yours? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, okay. And yes, uh, my daughter and her son was in the backseat of this vehicle when everything took place. Okay. So, so you're home, you, you, you start, you're divorced, you have. Uh, well, I come home and I was married until 2014. Um, we were trying to work it out, trying to work it out. And then like, no shit, dude. One day I just came home and she was gone. Hmm. Um, and that was it. Um, she said she won custody of the child saying I had violent ideations. And at the time I was an alcoholic. I've been in and out of the mental institution more times than I can count. Hmm. Um, I've threatened, dude, I've threatened to do terrible things to people while I was intoxicated. Um, and now like, I'm an open book and I'm here to be a hundred percent honest because for whoever's listening, I want y'all to understand that y'all don't have to go through this and you can learn from my mistakes. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but I'm dead ass serious. Yeah. If I could just help one person, I go through this because this, this affects more than this affects families, multiple people. This incident ruined generations the way I look at it. Well, maybe, I mean, you're, you're, and I'm very hard on myself. Yeah, that's right. There's I was going to say. There's nothing. I mean, people tell me to stop doing that. I can't. I'm hyper. I talk too much. And I'm my biggest, worst enemy. Yeah. I mean, I get it. But yeah. But you're also being proactive. And I mean, it's not like it, it was this incident happened and then you just like whatever you, you dipped out or anything you, you you're taking responsibility and you're trying to be a better person and you're making changes and stuff. So that's, I mean, that's all anyone could ever ask for really. Right. Um, but anyway, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. so you, you meet what, what, when, so when did you start dating, uh, your, your girlfriend? Uh, I was 19 when we started dating. Um, and I didn't join the military till 24 and I was fucked up about that. I'm, I'm I look back on my past. I was a piece of shit sometimes. So I come home and I tell my girlfriend, Hey, what would you think of me joining the army? She said, I don't know. We'll talk about it. Why well, leave in 14 days? Wait, wait, is this your, this is the girlfriend that we're talking about? I ended up marrying. Yeah. Oh, I don't care about her anymore. Well, I want to talk about. Oh, okay. <laughs> you okay. Well, let me get up to her. Let me get up to her. Okay. okay. So I go through said divorce, um, and I'm still in service at this time. Um, to finish out my career in the National Guard, um, and I was in until 2017. Okay. Um, got out actually in 2016, which you had that inactive period. That I had, which is inactive reserve, it really don't count. So we'll say I served from 2009 to 2016, went to Iraq in 2011, did 13,000 miles. I was a medical instructor, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so I, I 
go through the divorce. I buy a trailer outright. Boom. Buy this trailer. Uh, and this is after going through the divorce and then living in a room for like a year. That's when I started selling dope. Because mm. uh, I basically lived in a trap house. You know? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, dope. And, uh, when you say dope, you don't mean marijuana? No. Marijuana is not dope. Right. <laughs> That's old school, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, let me get a lid. But, um, <laughs> and I am not proud of it by any means, and I have nothing to show for it except for the lives I probably helped ruin. Hmm. But I will also say I was that drug dealer that would talk shit to people for buying their drugs every time, never fail. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I, 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 again, working in treatment, I know guys that uh, like people that are like in the throes of addiction that are selling to people that are like celebrating other people's sobriety that used to buy from them and because they know they, they're stuck. Nobody wants to be a drug addict. It's a revolving circle of madness. Yeah, yeah. And how many using drug addicts and, and dealers are supporting other people's And sobriety? I have to say, when you say drug addict, I, I can't ever say I was a drug addict. Because mm. I like money. Ah. And I like to keep my mind together. Mm. Alcohol is what really grabbed me by the balls. Like, when I was selling the dope, I wasn't doing it, dope. Anyway, so I'm living in this place. Of course, it gets out of hand, you know, over time. And me and this dude get into it. And he pulls a knife for me. And I grab his hand, you know, tell him, do whatever you got to do because we're crazy. Anyway, long story short, I was like, well, I'm getting out of here today. And within 12 hours, I bought an $11,000 trailer outright. Boom. Moved in. (laughs) (laughs) So I owned the trailer, but I didn't own the land. So I moved in. Um, and I, there for a while I was chilling. It was great. And then I decided to get a doggy, which was a pit bull. And it didn't go over well. And over like a lapse of time, I got frustrated. So I decided to move out and rent the trailer to somebody. And that worked out for about six months. And then I flipped the fuck out and said, you know what? I'm sick of it. And I gave the trailer over to the person I was renting it. And walked away. Really? Yep. I'm the brokest dude to ever give away a house. <laughs> huh. Um, and then I was living with my buddy's ex-girlfriend for a while. And it was working out well. And, you know, over time, you know, I got them strung out and back and forth. And then I start flipping out on them because they're not clean. And then, you know, clash, clash, clash. And then they called the police on me. For being there, and I lived there. And the police showed up and said, yo, you got 24 hours to get off these premises. Hmm. Okay, and keep in mind, the girlfriend from the incident, I knew her since 2013. We had been friends. Hmm. And when we were single, we were sleeping with each other. Aha. Uh-huh. And then when we decided to date other people, you know what I mean? We left each other alone and just talked on the phone. Hey, what's happening, buddy? Right. Uh, and the only reason I told that backstory real quick is because what I'm about to say next. So the police tell him, and it, uh, we can't tell him to leave, but well, it's 24 hours, you got to be on the premises. So they left the, the police and the lady and the man that were living there at the time that I was living with left. And I won't lie, I wigged the fuck out. I packed three bags and I destroyed the house. <laughs> 
Mm. <laughs> like I didn't break the walls or nothing, but like I broke all the shit in my room and left it a mess. Mm. And I go and I literally leave the home and I get on a Greyhound bus and I go to California and I'm leaving everything behind right away from Florida. No, I was in Virginia at the time. Oh, okay. I moved from Florida in 2002. From the time I was born to the time I was 18, I moved like 32 times. And it wasn't a military family. I was, you know, I love my mother. She's wonderful. But when she was younger, she spent a lot of time running away from things. And that's why I learned you can't run away from nothing. Because I got into California. I got to Koreatown. And I was going to be an actor. He was in Hollywood, you know, fucking A. But um, <laughs> about two and a half weeks into that. Were you on the streets? No, I'm fuck no, dude. Uh, I was living with some Russians in Koreatown. Some Russians in Koreatown. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a cool band name. <laughs> uh, but it was it was cool. It was an experience. Um, and then my mom was telling me, come back, come back. And I told my fuck off you've been telling me what to do my whole life i'm gonna burn in hell out of spite type shit and then uh i started thinking about my children because uh in between all that i didn't even mention the the woman i had a second child with mm-hmm. and i'm not really gonna get into it too much but after my divorce i had gotten with this woman that i was dating back in high school and we went to homecoming together whatever and since i had lost custody of my first daughter me and this woman decided, hey, let's make a baby we can't have taken from us. Because mm. her mom took her oldest child from her. Mm, sounds healthy. Yep. And then, <laughs> um, long story short, I go off, I get two DUIs after second DUI. Or we get into it. Da, 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 and then some kind of stupid argument comes together. And she already knows how much I uh, don't get along with my ex-wife. And I looked her dead in her face and I'm dumping for my ex-wife. Man, she two-pieced me, and uh, yeah, that's where we ended up moving to the trap house. And my child was one. Little Halea was one. So you have two daughters uh, out in the world. You're living with Russians in Koreatown. Mm-hmm. Going to be a superstar. Yeah, living with the Russians. And um, I started thinking about what kind of piece of shit am I? I literally left everything behind like a shit. To go accomplish what? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. But anyway, I, I just in the overwhelming guilt came over me. Uh, plus, I spent most of my time in California shit faced, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. Running, the, running the streets. And uh, my new girlfriend, the one that we'll be discussing, her name is Jessica, and she brought me home. She brought me home to Virginia, yeah, mm. she helped me out. Because I had went broke and I was pretty much fucking stuck out there. She got the ticket and brought me home and said, you need to be home. Uh, and met me at the Greyhound. And I'll never forget it. I got off the Greyhound. I meet Jessica. We hit the car. We go to Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> and we have some Whoppers. And I don't have nowhere to go. So I call the guy I was buying drugs from. Hey, I need to come live with you. He says, yeah, you can come live with me. Boom, we go down. I get down there. I show up at this man's house. And this is a whole other fucking story. I show up at this man's house. Apparently something happened. I don't know. He's been in some kind of fiasco. He hands me an AK-47. Sit with my girlfriend. 
we gotta go handle some shit. Uh, what's going on? So now I'm running. I'm walking around with this man's girlfriend, an AK-47, sitting in a pagan's house. And I'm looking at this dude's like, bro, I'm in your living room with your gun. I mean, I, I'm just doing what my man said. He said, this is cool, bro. Take a line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that, that night, it, the drugs were necessary. <laughs> I can imagine. God. Um, but anyway, I'm not even going to get into that because that's a whole nother. I got a lot of stories. That's yeah. a whole nother story. <laughs> you got to write and a I don't book. take up the I don't want, I, I need to, but I don't want to take up the whole thing with leading up to this. But yeah, and then I was living in Rustburg, Virginia, and I stayed out there for a while. Um, and then my guy ends up becoming a fugitive from the law three days after I move in with him. So I end up living with his girlfriend. He's running from the law. He shows back up on the property and the police are in and out. You know, nonstop looking for this fucking guy. He shows back up on the property. He pulls up in a purple car. Bro, I, I ejected him off the, the property. Like, you got to go. You're a fucking fugitive, bro. Long story short, his girlfriend's dad thinks I'm somebody else and shoots at me at point blank range. And I don't know why I'm still here. Because, I mean, I looked that guy in the face and said, you going to take me from my daughter because of this? And then I said some real smart ass shit, and that's what made him shoot. Um, but all I remember is two shots, and then I ran off the back window, and then that guy took off running, um, and then he took his own life in Roanoke, Virginia, and they found him in the ditch four days later. I was like, oh, fucking shit, man. And it doesn't end there. But I get out of there, and I go... I leave there. I said, I'm making myself homeless. I got to get out of the situation. Boom. I grab those two bags, the same two bags. And I walk from Rustburg back to Lynchburg. And I call one of my veteran buddies and say, bro, let me stay on your couch, man. He said, all right, bet. Stayed on his couch for three months. And then in that time, me and Jessica were seeing each other on, on. And then we made it official. I asked her son's permission to date his mama. Hmm. And um, we started dating. And uh, once we started dating, I stopped doing illicit substances. Um, she didn't care that I drank. Uh, I'm not going to say she enabled me, but she never said no when I asked for one. Hmm. Um, she wasn't in that uh, other scene, like the drugs or anything. She wasn't. No, not at all. She's very, she's a pharmacist for Walgreens, college educated. Hmm. I mean, I, I pick smart women, bro. Fucking her ass. <laughs> um, but very, very smart woman. Uh, older than me. My ex-wife is older than me. And then my baby mama is the same exact age as me. Hmm. Uh, when I was 30, I dated a 19-year-old just, just, just to see what it was like. I hated it. But um, <laughs> um, So me and Jessica start dating. This is where we get into the story. We start dating... Uh, Quit selling dope. I quit doing any little bitch that I was doing is out the window. Smoking and drinking. That was it. Boom. I start working full time. I get my VA benefits. Life is looking up. She's guided me out of the hellhole. Mm-hmm. Basically. And then we go and we get an apartment. We move in and her son's there and she's there and 
we get a couple kitty cats and my children, my child is coming uh, back and forth, blah, 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 you know, whenever, whenever. And this is my youngest child because I, in 2018, like a dumbass, I got drunk one night because my ex-wife was letting me talk to my daughter on the phone every day. And then one day she just stopped. And after like two weeks, I sent a really fucking stupid text message that I'll have to live with for the rest of my life. Mm. Uh, I said, if I can't see my daughter, I will kill you, your boyfriend, and everything. And she took it straight to the police. Well, I get arrested. Pow! Take it down. I do a night in jail. Um, and two-year restraining order. Restraining order gets lifted. I'm getting my life together. Uh, I finally got out of fast food because... Uh, I left the military and I went to serve at the Waffle House. I did that for four and a half years and then went to Bojangles. Then got out of that and started working for Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield. Best job I ever had. Thank you, Jessica. She really pushed me. And I was literally talking for a living. I made it. I got to do what I wanted to do. And that's talk for a living. And help people. I love to help people. And uh, we're working, working, working. It's great. Life's covered together. Um, I'm trying to wait out this restraining order. The time passes. It gets lifted. I don't violate it or anything like that. Um, and I start putting in the paperwork to see my oldest daughter. And uh, give me a minute. What happens? I'm going to tell everybody what happens straight up. It was 100% avoidable and 100% my fault. Because of my negligence and stupidity, this is what happens. Life is perfect almost. Life. We have dinner time. I work from 7 to 3. You know, like I, I want some white people shit. I'm, I'm, yes, I did it. And, um, I never stopped drinking, and the drinking was getting worse and worse and worse. I won't lie. It's not an excuse, but, like, I drank myself to the point of having GERD to esophagitis, a hiatal hernia, and throwing up blood. Um, And that didn't stop me. I would, and I was working at Blue Cross Blue Shield, and I would wake up and drink a steel reserve. I would go on break and drink a steel reserve. I would get off work and drink a steel reserve. I mean, like, I drink still reserve from the time I got up to the time I went to bed. To the point, like, I was I was an extremely functioning alcoholic type person. Oh. But it was terrible. It was terrible. But anyway, um, life's good, whatever, whatever. I tell my girlfriend, I say, hey, we got our own place. We got the kids coming in and out. Let's get a gun. We didn't own a gun. I don't mean I've owned multiple guns. But, you know, bounce from home to home. and I don't have a firearm. So I said, hey, let's get a firearm. And this is the pisser. She goes down there. Because I have uh, mental health diagnoses. So I couldn't do the paperwork. So she did the paperwork and got the gun. We get the gun, boom. Everyday part of life. It's around. It's on the hip. You know, open carry, blah, blah, blah. 
very safe about it. Always put it in a drawer. Kids stay away from it. Always unload it. Like, you know, I had over 2,500 hours of firearm safety training, um, which makes this another. Um, anyway, we'll get into it. That's a lot for me, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, shaking like a fucking leaf. Um, Ball's 100% in your court, man. It's up to you. Oh, no, we go. We're going now, dude. We ain't stopping. Um, so anyway, should, should we get the gun and whatever, whatever, and life's chill. Life's pretty normal. We've got a schedule. Uh, I cut off most of my stupid friends. Like, fuck all of you people. I don't want nothing to do with you. So the cutoff of people happened before the series of events I'm about to explain. The series of events just helped fuck everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh that's not the way I feel, but like there's certain people you just have to get rid of in your life. Absolutely. Because you are a product of your environment, you're a product of what you surround yourself with. That's right. Um so anyway, long story short, this woman helped me pull my head out of my ass and we were getting our life together on some adult, we're gonna settle down and have a future shit. My my kid loved her. We're talking marriage plans. I'm meeting her friends. Her family loves me. Uh, me and her dad are so cool. And her son, you know, me and him, you know, so bros for life, man. Yeah. You know, and um, so we're going to go into it. We're just going to dive right into what happened. Because uh, I think I've procrastinated enough. Oh. Uh, um, so July 4th, 2021, we're celebrating, we're enjoying our time, me and the kids and Jessica and her son, which I would not say his name, he's a minor. Um, we all go and we go to the water park and we have a good time and I'm drinking the whole time. It's 4th of July. Fuck yeah. Freedom. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're swimming and we're having a good time. We have friends meet us up there. And then we leave there and we go to the hibachi and I have a big old plate, raw calamari and <laughs> good stuff. You know what I mean? Like, and all this. And then we go to a park in Bedford, Virginia. And y'all can, you know, I'm not going to say her last name, but if you want to look at the story, just. Google Daniel Norwood. You want your full name? Yep. I don't, I, because I, I don't have anything to hide. Right. Okay. A guilty man has something to hide. Mm-hmm. You know, the only reason I don't say her full name is out of respect. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. But I will say mine. My name is Daniel Norwood. And if you put that in your Google bar, you'll, you'll, yeah. So, uh, July 4th, 2021. After all the festivities and the food, we go down to a park in Bedford, Virginia. And we have a, they have a fireworks show and the kids bouncing houses and all this and that. And, you know, I got my gun on my hip the whole time and I'm running back and forth to the car so I can hit my drinky drink. And, you know, we're, we're, we're having a good old time. 
And um, they set the fireworks off and it's getting dark and they're wrapping everything up and we kiss each other. And we talk about the future. And we go back to the car. We go back to the car and um, we get in the car. And I don't think about it when I get in the car. We buckle up. We get the kids buckled up. We're in a church parking lot, too. All this took place in a church parking lot. We pull up to the stop sign to pull out of the church. I look up. I see traffic cops. I'm like, oh, state of Virginia laws. I pull my weapon off my hip. I don't have my concealed license on me at the time. In the state of Virginia, the gun has to be unloaded and the magazine locked in one compartment and the gun locked in another. I saw the flashing lights. I was intoxicated. I was like, oh shit, Virginia Laws. I pulled the weapon out of my holster and um, I go to unload it. And I did not drop the magazine. So when I racked it, it popped the chambered round. And I thought I dropped the magazine, but I was intoxicated. If I didn't drop the magazine, so I pull it back and I think the chamber round comes out and I let it go. And this is how I know I'm drunk. There was no situational awareness, no muzzle awareness, no nothing. I pulled out my hair. It's pointed at her as I'm unloading it. I don't drop the magazine. I rack it. It goes forward. Gun goes off. Because you get what you pay for. And it was a Taurus, nine millimeter piece of shit weapon. But either way, it's still my fault. It's my fault. The gun should have never been pointed at her. Um, I should have left it up, but there's a thousand things would have could have. But anyway, so the gun's point there, it goes off. It strikes her. At first. And keep in mind, this is in at the stop sign in church parking lot with traffic cops sitting about as far away from me as you are on my screen to me. Like he wasn't far at all. So boom. Oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? She looks at me. You shot me. I said, what do we need to do? Her eyes rolled back and her lips went blue. I was, I jumped out of that vehicle immediately. No thought, no nothing. I didn't even have my shoes on. As soon as I, I saw that happen to her, and I'm a medic, but I still, I, there was nothing I could do. I didn't have, I, I'm drunk, I'm panicking, I'm, and I jumped out, I grabbed him, I run. Officer, I grabbed by his arm. I'm not even thinking, you know, cops are shooting people left and right. I don't care. Grab him. Sir, I had a negligent discharge. Those are my exact words. Help me. I had a negligent discharge. Help me. 
He runs. He opens the door. He sees the gun. He strikes her on the chest. And it starts rubbing her abdomen. And I get immediately, boom, tackled. On the ground. Handcuffs. Thrown in the back of the car. And I don't even know what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck just happened? And I'm sitting in the back of this car, and the car, and I'm, I'm watching everything, and I'm just crying and screaming, you know. And and your kids are in the car. Yeah, oh yeah, in the back seat of the car. My seven year old child, six years at the time, and her ten year old son, nine years at the time. In the back seat of the car. And I'm going to tell you, we all thought it was going to be okay. We all thought it was going to be okay. Mm. You know, the sheriff of Bedford comes out there. He, he asked me, you know, I, and I had to tell him, I just kept repeating the same thing over and over and over again, you know, because the truth, the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I have nothing to hide. I, I fucked up. I fucked up. And 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 it, it all becomes kind of a blur. So I, I do remember lay, they laid her out and they cut her off her shirt and all that stuff. Um, and the part that breaks my heart was her son was right there for all of this. I mean, my daughter will be fine, but her son was right there. But I remember right before they pulled off, I I grabbed, I yelled, and I'm so sorry, and her son runs across the field, and he says, I love you, bro. I forgive you. It's okay. And he hugs me. But this is when we all thought everything was going to be okay. Those were the last words I've ever said to that young man. I haven't spoken to him since. Mm. Um, now, I am in contact with the family, but I, I haven't spoken to the young man. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, the family is doing that on purpose. Uh, so anyway, I get, I get taken away. And they take me down to the station and I get put in that interrogation room and I'm sitting in there. And I, I, I'm just, I don't know what I'm talking to the officer about. I know I was talking about something because talking is a defense mechanism for me. Um, and everything was all right. Everything could be all right. I'm telling the cop, everything could be all right. Everything could be all right. Oh. Where was she shot? I don't know. I don't know. You know I mean, they kept asking where. I don't know. Oh, and that to this, I didn't find out where she was hit until forensic investigators told me. Um, and I'm sitting in a room, and the investigator he goes through his little thing, and you know. I hear the kids, you know, they're in another room. I, and I can hear them. And, you know, my daughters talk about mermaids. And she don't understand what's going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm all over the place. I do apologize. I, I'm very manic, even with medication. But this is a tough, tough, tough thing, and I've not really ever talked about it. Don't no need to apologize. You're you're doing just fine. You're mm. this is no worries, brother. You're doing mm. amazing. So I'm sitting in the room and I'm waiting. And I'm just I know everything's gonna be okay. And uh, I know this because when I was 17, I shot somebody. And that person I shot on purpose. And they didn't die. Mm-hmm. Like, I was trying to kill that guy, so we should be okay. That was, you know, my, my thought process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that shit happened when I was 17. It was stupid drug shit. But just explaining my thought process. It's going to be okay. And um, the investigator disappears. And then um, he comes back into the room about 3.20 a.m. on the 5th at this point. No, on the 4th, on the 4th, because the shooting actually occurred on July 3rd at 10.11 p.m. Um, so he comes in around 3.20 a.m., and I do remember the times vividly, very vividly. So he comes in. And uh, I look at him. All right, man, what's the word? How is she? And he looks at me. No. No, no, no. He didn't even say nothing. It's just the look on his face. That was it. I knew it. Jump out of my chair and I smash my head into the wall. Bow! And I start screaming and crying, and the deputies grab me and say, Don't do that, don't do that. But you read, like, you know, don't you can't harm yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just, you know, I collapse onto the floor. And it doesn't, it doesn't click yet. Like, I mean, obviously, it clicks. But it did, it did, I, they dragged me in out of there from the interrogation and it's like, you are now being charged with first degree murder. Fuck. First degree. Homicide, man. Not even manslaughter. Eventually. Well, eventually it comes, obviously, I'm talking to you. Yeah. But initially, I was charged with first-degree murder. Intentional homicide. Of my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a history of arguing. We don't have a history of fucked-up text messages. We, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. none of that. Now, of course, there was certain people that were like, Oh, uh, because I'm, I'm a yeller. I'm a loud person if you can't tell. Uh, so they're like, he yells all the time. Yeah, I do yell all the time, but not in an argumentative manner. Um, But there were certain people who were, tra- you know, mm-hmm. some people still want to see me die. But um, I don't blame them. It is what it is. Uh, fuck. I just blanked out for a second. Hold on. My, my mind is racing. I got to calm down. 
Um, so anyway, just we're gonna continue with the story. So they take me out of the interrogation room and they drive me down to the jail. I get into the jail and I get into the room where they're going to strip search you and all that. And I look at the CO and I said, just hug me, please, just hug me. And the CO grabbed me and embraced me because I am a military man and a couple of CEOs serve with me. So they know me as a man. And the CO looked at me and he said, you're one of the few that actually comes in here that don't belong here. I said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And they put me on, uh, I forgot what it was, but some kind of shit to calm me down, whatever. It doesn't work, but uh, I throw up in a, in a bucket and all this and they literally took me straight from trying in that officer's arms and put me into a general population pod. And all these dudes, I'm talking, this is two, this is you know, two hours after I left the interrogation office. I'm in a general population pod. All these fucking people have just watched the news. I come in there. I just killed my girlfriend. They were going to kill me that night because I heard them. I was laying on the top rack, and they they would talk about you know we're going to catch him, and you know, and I mean I may have been hearing things I don't know because they all denied it or whatever, but like I swear to God I heard them saying they were going to smash my head in. And take me out by the morning. So I leap out of my bed. Boom. God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. So they pull me out of here. And they put me into a smaller bay. That's fine. I freak out again. I tell the officers, tell the media to leave my mom alone. So I start going through, like, a real psychotic episode. Um, I start seeing things that ain't there and all this stuff. And I'm sure uh, some of it was alcohol delirium. Right. Let's be honest. Yeah, right. Um, so I'm in, I'm in this little pod. There's about eight people in here compared to the other one. I had 66. I'm in here with the eight people. But I'm sitting there and I'm on another top bunk. And all I can hear is the people on the other bay beating on the wall. It's in my full name. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. And I have like this crazy whatever, whatever. And I start low crawling up and down the bay like I have an assault rifle. Um, and I just kind of losing my shit. And then I start arguing with the guards, you know, about food and stuff. I don't even remember. I just know that me, I went in on the guards. And then I just started declining, declining, declining. And the only reason I'm mentioning this is because it's a mental health thing. Like, it was a snap that I've never been through before. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. but they pulled me out of there. They pulled me out of that one. And this time they pulled me out. 
I didn't want out. So I'm fighting. I'm fighting these people. You know. And I mean, I don't, I can't, I, I should have just sat there and shut the fuck up and whatever. But like, I, I, I just, I winged and started fighting with these people to the point I got maced. And then that didn't work. I rubbed it in the face. Ah. And, you know, so they grabbed this fire extinguisher looking thing in my face. That put my ass on the ground. Then they got back up and continued to fight to the point that I ended up strapped to a chair with no shirt on, with the heat blowing on your back, locked in a cell. And I was still freaking out of that because I was strapped in this fucking chair telling the guards that they weren't officers. They kidnapped me. I'd been kidnapped. And I go on this for a very for quite a while. I'm screaming and yelling, I've been kidnapped. Is this still all in the same first day that you're you went to yeah, jail? Yeah, within within like the first 72 hours. Hmm. Um and like I said, uh, uh then I'm like I said, I'm strapped to this chair and uh I remember Finally calm her down and started to talk friendly to him. Like, hey, maybe if I talk friendly, they'll let me out of this chair. Yeah, nah, not happening. But, um, and then I, they take me out of the chair and they finally stick me into solitary confinement. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting, day in and day out for like a week. Just screaming and yelling. And I broke the vents. In a solitary confinement cell, I ripped a fucking vent off the wall in a solitary confinement cell. Hmm. Like, I don't even know how that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing flips and I had visions. Oh my God. Just the worst visions of, I literally sat there in that solitary confinement cell. And once I quit wigging out, I got on my knees. And I put my hands up. And I started seeing every member of my family brutally killed. Uh, visions of my ex-wife being killed, my children being killed, my mother, my brother. Like I saw everybody I love killed. As, and I thought it was real at the time. Mm-hmm. These people are killing my family because of what I did. And I just, I've got these visions and I'm hearing these voices and I feel like people are coming to kill me and just all this crazy stuff. And then uh, to caveat it, I'm sitting on my knees, my hands in the air. I don't know how long the guards are coming in and out every 15 minutes. And every time you come in, kill me, please kill me, please kill me. Like, I can tell you, not from a combat experience, but from this experience, I know what it feels like to accept that you are going to die. And you say, okay. Mm-hmm. I was there. I was at that point. It's over. And I wasn't suicidal. I was just accepting the fact that I am going to die. Hmm. 
And of course, these guards are assholes. They turned it into a fucking game. Um, because you know they're not doctors. They don't know nothing about mental health. Um, and then the wig and the wig and I had all these visions, and I had multiple visions of my girlfriend being murdered like brutally over and over and over again. I had a vision of my own child being flushed down the toilet. Like it was horrible, dude. Hmm. Um, Do you think some of this might've been alcohol withdrawal as well? Yeah. Well, that's to say alcohol delirium. I'm sure hmm. it was an effect mm -hmm. along with everything else compounded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but no, we're, we're, we're definitely going to say alcohol delirium has something to do with it. Right. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, I don't know how long it was. I, I will say two weeks in. It finally calms down. And um, at this point, the officers have taken literally everything from me. I am in a turtle suit. A turtle suit is that dream thing. It's a blanket with armholes in it. I had no, they, they took everything. I didn't have any bedding. I didn't have, you know what I mean? Because I was fucking wigging out so bad. So they had me in this solitary cell with a metal, a metal bunk. And that was it. And like, they didn't even give me a real tray in the beginning. Um, Yeah, no, they didn't give me a real tray. And um, they quit opening the doors. Like food tray. Check, because, uh. I remember the guard opened the door one time and I'm, I, I tried to push out of it. Like, where was I going? But um, then it all calms down and reality sets in. I tell you all of this chaos to tell you this. It sets in. And I accept responsibility from the beginning but in that cell I didn't beg God for forgiveness I begged her for forgiveness hmm. I'm still working through the God stuff you know my mom is encouraging me but you know I have mentioned to her that I uh, you know and I'm not going to get religious but I have mentioned to her that I feel like I may be damned to hell And she says, I got to get out of that that mindset. And, uh, you know, you would think a lot of people get in a situation like this and they would hate God. God was all I had at that time. And then, according to what the guards are saying, I, I'm not exactly sure how it worked, but I know once all my chaos settled down, even they could tell, like, oh, it's, it's hit him. And the guards... You know, months later, after I was talking to them, they literally told me they, that was the saddest shit they ever saw in their life. Um, and I can't even explain it, but I can just tell you what they told me. They said that's the saddest shit they ever saw in their life. And these are guards who've been there, you know, 17, 18 years. Um, and uh, did you have to go to court at any point? Yeah. Oh yeah. Too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got denied bond immediately. And then I go to a arraignment, preliminary, um, and then uh, I pled guilty from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So my shit went all the way up to a grand jury. Mm -hmm. But I didn't fight. 
I didn't fight it at all. I was guilty the whole time. I said, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. I didn't deny it. I didn't justify it. I didn't do none of that. I just told the truth. Forensic evidence was presented. There was no way it could have been done on purpose from the trajectory of the entrance and exit wounds. Um, and that's when you found out where you mm-hmm. hit her. In the leg, dude. In the fucking leg, man. I've heard of this. There's a major artery in your vein, in uh, your leg. Um, femoral. Femoral artery. Hmm. But um, now I'm going to court and um, I go back and forth and I say nothing during my cases. Nothing. I made one statement and it's 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 broadcasted to the internet. My statement I made after sentencing. I will never forgive myself for this accident, but I will honor her memory with all my heart, just as I honored in the daughter when she was with us. I am truly sorry. I was supposed to protect her. That was my intentions, and I failed. I love Jessica dearly. Life will never be the same without my beautiful girlfriend, and I'm so sorry. And I didn't wait. I wrote that statement while I was still in solitary confinement right. and held on to that statement all the way until the end of sentencing. But I just, I, I tell everyone this entire story and it's not over yet, but I just, I'm positive to say, I tell everyone this entire story to tell you that it's not too late to make a change. And if you find yourself in the revolving circle of madness, ask for help. Because I can guarantee if I had asked for help and admitted I had a problem, this would not have happened. I'm, man, I don't know what to say. I'm so Uh, sorry that you're going through this. And, um, so I show up and I don't, I, I don't remember. It was many court dates. It was like eight or nine court dates. But I remember the first one that I saw her parents at. And I come out and, you know, they pull me out. I'm in chains. I pull in and then, you know, my lawyer does his fancy lawyer thing. And I'm walking through the front of the courtroom. And I looked at her mother. I didn't say anything out loud or anything. But I looked her in her eyes and I lipped, I'm sorry. And I put my head down and I kept walking. And we're fighting, we're fighting for this case. And, you know, they start, you know, my lawyer starts talking about PTSD and this. I said, that has nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with this. You know, I hate when they do that. Hey, he's got military background. He should, let's blame it. No, no, this was me. I did this. Ain't no PTSD do it. Ain't no mental problems do it. A lapse of judgment and pure negligence. Uh, anyway, we go through the court. We go through the courts. And then uh, I eventually actually got out on bond. Many, many moons later. Almost a year later. Get out on bond. And I get out. Um, you know, I embed myself with my family and I get into the VA and all this and go through the, the process and the steps um, or whatever. I don't know, dude. 
Like, because like, I, I feel like it's bullshit that I'm even talking about this. You know, yeah, I fought for my life, but it was my own fucking fault. Yeah, but it wasn't like it wasn't like a first degree murder. It like people people fuck up, man. I, I mean, I when I was working in addictions, I, I met an eighteen year old kid who was drinking and driving and wiped out a family. And I mean, like you said, it's negligence. It's an I mean, accidents happen. Shit, bad shit happens. You you paid your price. You're still paying your price. I mean, well, I've not touched alcohol since that day, and I will never touch alcohol again. Mm-hmm. Because if I do, I mean, I'm gonna narrow it all the way down to this. If I take another sip of booze, I might as well just go piss on her grave. Right. Um, and I was I was forgiven by her her father and her family publicly the day of sentencing. Hmm. And I'll never forget what he said. And it's it's true. He said, when you decide to mess up again, just know that my daughter died for you. Hmm. And he hugged me. And um, we've been in touch, contact and whatnot. And um, I, I, did, I did set up a trust for her son and and and, and I told her, her father about it and he was like I don't know what to say I would say fuck you Daniel you know but he was acting like oh my gosh I was like what bro you should have sued me for my soul because I didn't I didn't get any I didn't get any restitution I didn't get sued I didn't nothing I got charged with involuntary manslaughter Reckless handling of a firearm. And that's exactly what happened. What why um, why would they sue you? Wrongful death. But why? What what would that do? I don't know. I'm a I'm a father. I mean, I thought about being in that man's position a million times. Mm-hmm. And if if I was if something like that happened to my daughter and it was a legitimate accident, I would be able to forgive, but I'd never speak to that person. You know, and the man tries to encourage me. I, I'm flabbergasted. It's the power of forgiveness, man. Something I learned in AA. We, we step nine is it's making amends, and that's partly not only for the people you hurt. You're asking for forgiveness, but it's so that you can learn what forgiveness looks like, so you can forgive yourself. So, just be inspired. Just be grateful. Well, I mean, and I tell you, I tell you, it's 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 almost impossible for me to forgive myself. I know, I know, because I I have such I have such a big heart. I love hard. I care hard. And I mean, I had my shit in experiences in in combat. This this is that is nothing. This is a whole other monster. Mm-hmm. I did. The worst thing you could do in this life is somebody I love. The scary thing is it could happen to anyone for any, any kind of negligence, whether it's firearm or alcohol or, or whatever. Could and you... I, I, I still have a Facebook, but I haven't posted on Facebook since 
July 2nd, 2021. And the last thing I ever posted on Facebook was, I cannot wait to see the day the chickens could cross the road. Um, and, um, but I, I did mess up when I got out of incarceration. I did get on there hmm. and look and looked at what they had to say. And, but I, I will say, uh, now I do live a very isolated life now. Yeah. Um, I live most of my life, most of my human interaction is online. Uh, I am very wary about going in public. Uh, I have been blessed, though. I have not been recognized. Or if I have been, I have not been pointed out. What am I? I had two fears. I was going to get killed walking into the courthouse that day. Hmm. Um, and the other fear was in Walmart or something. He's a murderer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In front of the whole world. Um, and the bad part about it is, I think about this. Remember, I told you earlier about a stupid text message I sent my ex-wife in two thousand. 19 or 18 mm-hmm. well guess what how does that look on my end fighting for my oldest daughter now my ex-wife could say he sent this message in 2019 and two years later it really happened to somebody else mm-hmm. and she's playing the I, i'm scared of me card and that blows my mind because the child that was in the car mm-hmm. my halia we spoke to each other every Pretty much every week, I've never lost touch with that child. And me and that child have an unbreakable bond. Um, yeah, I see. I see you have pictures of her on Instagram and you're, mm-hmm. yeah, like together and stuff, not just. Yeah, that's, that's my, that's my, that's my warrior. And I mean, my, my, my oldest daughter, I love her to death, but I don't, I don't know her. Mm-hmm. And my fault, what my mother tells me to encourage me is, she's going to realize that her mother rips you out of her life and she's going to want to find the truth. And that one day she's going to show up and I'm never going to be able to get rid of her. <laughs> you you're still seeing counselors and therapists and yes. Yeah. Psychiatrists I'm assuming. And mm-hmm. I hate my psychiatrist, but I like my therapist. Right. Yeah. And I'm also in a veteran group called my veterans passion, uh, which is a nonprofit organization that helps uh, we bring awareness for veteran suicide and they help people with PTSD and they do counseling and I go to weekly counseling with them four times a week and then I have my therapist and like all this other shit. And- hmm. So you're being proactive. You've taken responsibility. If people want to, people are going to judge you no matter what, but yeah. I, I think you are maybe worrying too much that you're going to be recognized and stuff. And I, and I get it. I mean, that's. Well, I've gotten over it a lot because, you know, I have put my face out there on the streaming network and mm-hmm. that was a huge thing for me. Like I was not going to show my face. I wasn't going to do all this. And I just, I said, you know what? It is what it is. And talking to you has now been the first time I've got to explain my side and I'm going to be the first person to tell you, I do not want a single, single person out there to feel sorry for me. Hmm. Do not feel sorry for me. I beg of you. I deserve what I'm going through. I don't know. And it's not the excuse to have a sob story 
but it's an excuse to make a difference and do some fucking good in this world. Mm-hmm. And I'm pursuing, you know, I'm pursuing, I want to create a foundation in her name, the Jessica, her last name, Foundation for Gun Safety and Substance Abuse. Mm. And I wanted to be a nonprofit foundation, and it's a mountain to accomplish, but it can happen. Yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you're doing all the right things. And it's just, I mean, it's progress, not perfection. And you're, you're progressing whether a baby step is still a step. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, hopefully one day you can, you can heal. You're never going to get over it. Right. That's, I hate when people say shit like that, but I think you deserve a better quality of life than you're giving yourself. Let's put it that way. But again, it takes time, it takes time. It takes healing and, and you're, you're on the path, man. You're on the path. Um, take your meds, take your meds. Yeah. Take your meds, make your um, beds and take your meds. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically, basically. Um, tell, tell me how, how Twitch has been, I mean, you don't, you don't have to promote your, your channel or anything like that, but tell me how it's been helpful for you. You said it's basically saved your life. Yeah. I mean, okay. I won't use my username, but yes, I am on Twitch and and it's, it just started off as just play a game, get your mind off things. And then I started playing online with people. And I have I have a personality. And uh people were like, hey dude, you should do this. No, nah, man, I can't. I can't. And uh I was always a musician for many, many years, you know, a performer, an entertainer. Uh I'm the guy who would walk in the room and light it up. You know, that's me. Mm-hmm. And um, I refuse to do, because the genre of music I make was rap music. Mm. And after what happened, I refuse to represent anything like that for the rest of my life. Oh, uh, I got nothing to say. I don't have bars. I'm not cool. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not going to make a song about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and I was like, I'm a creator, though. I, I've got a creative mind. This is a way I could use, I can let it out mm-hmm. and use my creativity and not do music. I don't face first into it. And uh, built a, a great Twitch channel. I've got a wonderful following. It's growing and growing. And the people, it's nothing like the music industry. <laughs> nothing. The music industry is dog dog, man. Mm-hmm. You know, Whereas in this community, the streaming community is very uplifting, very positive. And um, I've actually had a few people on Twitch that I have opened up to. And they shocked me. Hmm. We love you, dude. It happens, dude. To be okay, dude. Because I always go into it. I'm going to tell you all something. And if you don't talk to me ever again, I understand. And they never react. Like that, they, 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 bro, it'll be all right. We ain't going nowhere. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm humbled. Mm. I'm humbled. Isn't that a great feeling? So now I get on there and I get on there and I hit the button and I talk to people and I communicate with people because I used to be the guy I hang out all the time. It is, well, this is my way of hanging out again and feeling social. And, and, and some people from the house I look at it and say it's still a dangerous way to live. Because I'm very isolated. 
very mm-hmm. isolated and I don't want it to change. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ish the same way. I mean, I, I live in a small town and I, I hardly know anyone from town anymore because I don't go out, but I'm still making amazing connections with people because I'm doing this. So I'm still. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm having way better conversations on here than I ever would talking about the weather and fucking right whatever. exactly so <laughs> I'm like, exactly people might look at me and think i'm isolating um, i'm like fuck you i'm having like the best conversations connecting with the most amazing people all over the place and then the isolation like a lot of people look at oh you're isolated you're isolated i look at it this opportunity was horrible this whole thing was horrible but it gave me an opportunity to legitimately reset my life mm-hmm Nobody want to talk to me afterwards. When I got out, nobody want to talk to me. Good. Leave me alone. Hmm. I don't want to talk to you either. And the few people that I've talked to in the real world, like I, like, I had one friend that I've known for 17, 18 years. Cut him off. I when I just, nope. Mm-hmm. All the drug people, bye. All the hood people, bye. I communicate with those that I must communicate with. And I'm embedded with my family, you know, because people come and they go. Nothing lasts forever. I just want to say, you know, what I take from this whole situation, this scenario is I don't want to die. I want to live for those who can't. And I want to do, I want to make a difference. And you can change the world. Even if it's only one person, you change one person's life. You've changed the world. We can't give up. We can't quit. And we got to keep fighting. And for those of you listening, use me as an example. I am not using this as an excuse. I am out there and I am trying to live and make a difference and be positive. Because my mother told me, you know, just because this happened doesn't mean you have to lose your smile. And I loved, I loved Jessica. We never broke up and and I never got to say goodbye. I literally just found out where she was buried three days ago because, and I did, I, I did not ask her family. You don't ask those questions. The wonderful internet, but I've never been down there and never got to say goodbye. And I'm going to do that. And I know Jessica knows that it that I didn't mean for this to happen. That's right. And I believe she's my guardian angel. But yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I make sure you all follow Buddy Hugs Mental Health on Instagram, TikTok, and all your socials. Appreciate it, brother. Love you. Take care. You too, brother. Love you too, man. Thank you for everything. And don't stop shining. Thank you, my friend. Daniel and I have, we have a bit of a relationship now. Uh, We actually text quite often. Uh, He's been very anxious about this coming out, this episode. Uh, It's highly anticipated, as he says. I'm very proud of, I'm very proud of you, Daniel, for for doing this. Because you didn't have to. and, And I know how hard it was for you to do it. And I think, I think it's a good step forward to start your healing process. 
And I'm happy to say that Daniel texted me the other day. He said he he listened to it with his uh, one one of his kids' moms and 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 some of her kids and. They, they all cried together as a family and they processed stuff as a family. They, they shared their feelings and their memories of the event. Uh, unfortunately, he, had, he went straight to jail. So, you know, they didn't really have time to process it as a family. So I think that's, I think that's, I mean, it's, it's hard, but um, I think it was ultimately going to be a very good thing that that happened. So Daniel, thank you so much for this. I'm so honored that you chose bunny hugs and mental health and for me to to tell your story uh and i think you are going to help people i have done an episode before about uh, accidental killers and i i think it happens way more often than people realize maybe not to these extremes but uh, I, it, it it happens a lot so i think it's uh i think you're going to help some people so thanks again daniel and thank you everybody for listening if you have any questions or comments or concerns about this episode or any episode, please reach out on, on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and leave some comments. And please, everybody, remember to make your beds and to take your meds. Bye. Bye.